<laughs> Welcome back to Fred School. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. What are we doing here? Uh, what are we doing here? We're listening. Well, it's not Maria Menounos yet, unfortunately. It's uh, somebody else doing a dissertation on Pedro Pascal here at the AMC. In, uh, the, the, the beginning show, the pre-show. The pre-show, yes. Uh, but yeah, we're here to see The Exorcist Believer. We're on a Fright School field trip. Yes, we would have seen it earlier, but there was technical difficulties. <laughs> so we enjoyed the the delicious treats of the food court. Yes, that is that is that is true. But uh, yeah, so let's see what this uh, piece of Blumhouse garbage is like. And <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know. I mean, you know, it could be. I don't know. It could be. Uh, but we'll be we'll be back after uh, after after these messages with our thoughts. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School and another exciting edition of a Fright School field trip. Hello, Joe. Hi, Joshua. I signed my permission slip for the field trip. Did you actually get it signed by your parents? No, I signed it myself. Ah, yes. You're a forger. Forger. I've I've never forged my parents' signature, but I'm a grown-ass man, so... You know what? I did one time. I I forged my mother's initials on a... It was like some dumb assignment that we had to have our parents' initial or Mm. sign off. I don't... It was so stupid. But... I just remembered that memory because of this conversation. Well, I'm glad I could make that happen for you. Thank you. All right. We have returned from the theater. Uh-huh. Uh, so fresh ha- is have my brain is not working. So fresh is this trip that I still have. Look at that. If oh, you're over no. On, if you're on the Patreon, you can see I have my AMC icy cup filled with delicious frozen cola. Mmm. Well, it's not totally full, but it's still from what I was sipping on. It looks the syrupy. Yeah. It is. That's why my brain is misfiring. Sorry, I dropped this letter <laughs> opener. Sugar. Good job. You're very you're a very skilled dropper of things. Yes, I'm, you know, I just gotta be vigilant. Yeah. Speaking of things that dropped. Mm-hmm. What Are you gonna talk about my balls? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I don't want to discuss your balls right now. But okay. maybe at a later, maybe at a later date, off offline, we yes. can discuss what's going on with them. Yes, head over to the um, Patreon if you want to hear <laughs> <laughs> or see. Could that possibly? Oh. Maybe that could get us some more folks. We can uh, yeah, see about cakes that are- moving into eighteen plus content. Yes, <laughs> in SFW is that what that is? Not safe for work. Yes. Okay, so we have been to see The Exorcist Believer here in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three, which is fifty years since the original The Exorcist debuted mm-hmm. in December of nineteen seventy three. 
We're almost there to the 50th anniversary. Again, stay tuned for things coming that we'll be celebrating that. Keep an eye on our social media. Mm -hmm. But yeah, they thought this is appropriate, just like we had, because this is from Blumhouse, who did like the whole Halloween thing. So Mm -hmm. 40 years after the original Halloween, they release Halloween again. (laughs) Halloween, here we go again. (laughs) Halloween once more. So we're here with the Exorcist Believer, although it's surprisingly, it's called Believer and not just the Exorcist, right? I guess we should be thankful for small favors that we will be able to differentiate. (laughs) We were not going to have to say Halloween... Halloween 2000, whatever, seven. No, the Rob Zombie one. I guess we just call it the Rob Zombie one. But we don't have to say Halloween and then Halloween 2018 or 78 and 18. Halloween. We can just say say the the Exorcist 73. We can just say the Exorcist Believer. Yeah. Halloween everywhere all at once is what we (laughs) said. Well, yeah, but that's because there's 50 different whatchamacallits, timelines. Anyway, so we have gone to see The Exorcist Believer. Do you believe by, I guess we'll get into that. But it is a direct sequel to the original The Exorcist. It ignores, as far as we know, it's ignoring all the other films. But there's two more sequels to go in this new David Gordon Green trilogy. So we'll see if they do reference Heretic or Legion or the other what is dominion and whatever there's like prequels and sequels all kinds of things in the exorcist sure but yeah so just came out this year fresh only a couple weeks old by the time you're hearing this it'll be a few weeks old we got leslie odom jr and dow jennifer nettles isn't jennifer nettles like a country singer or something yeah she's a part of sugarland yeah, I kept looking at it like, I, man, why do I know her face? Because yeah. um, I was already gone. Okay, there we go. Right. She got the real twang in it. She also recently she is suing the shit out of you uh, right now. Well, no, she's what? not. Um, she, she recently was, did what? She recently was on Broadway and in the titular role of waitress. Oh, she, okay. She played waitress and right. she was very good. Like, famously about the uh, character from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, if I'm done yes. my Broadway reference. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She played How do Wait. you not know my name? Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> yes. So she was on the Broadway. Yes, she was on Broadway. Uh, about six minutes into the episode, and we've had a Broadway mention. That's good. That's a record. <laughs> I will actually, I will send you some of the videos of her, because the thing about the show is that it takes place in like the rural South midwesty area and so her like country twangy really helped lend a certain authenticity and texture to the character of jenna and i will be deleting those videos and moving on with my day We also have Lydia Jewett and Olivia Markham and then of course Ellen Burstyn return. You can't say Jewett. You can't say that, Joshua. You're not allowed to say that. No, they're going to come for us. The liberal media. It says J-E-W-E-T-T. Is that, I don't know. How, is that not how you say it? I don't know. No, that's how you say it. I'm making right. a joke. It could be Jouette. Maybe it's a French sort of thing. Sorry, that didn't Jouette. land. I was making a joke about it being a Jewett. No, um, I get it. I know, but I'm also not always plugged into. Anyways, how to say people's names. Not the point. The point is, we also have returning to the Exorcist world for the first time in 50 years, Ellen Burstyn. Very fun. Although what she was doing there, 
Nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the ECU, uh, the Exorcist Cinematic Universe. Yeah, there we go. Uh, so, yeah, it's about a uh, photographer whose wife dies 13 years before the events of, of the film. And then his daughter and uh, her friend become uh, possessed by something. Mm. Uh, and another two hours of film happened. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and start what, what'd you think joe and you had just rewatched the original the exorcist right in kind of preparation i know you told me you watched you fast forwarded through the boring parts which i still am mystified about what parts of the exorcist you find so boring but to each their own the way you know, that no you, accounting for taste the disgust when i said the disgust that crossed your face when I said, oh, yeah, I just fast forwarded through the boring parts. You're like, oh, the boring parts of The Exorcist. <laughs> First of all, there are boring parts of The Exorcist because blah, blah, blah. Father Karras doesn't there are believe in God. meditative moments of The Exorcist. Oh, God, no. <laughs> this, it's, that, no. Anyway, I did go through and watch The Exorcist at two times speed or whatever. And I, so, because I, the first time that I watched The Exorcist was the last time that I watched The Exorcist over eight years ago when we did season one of this, the very first season of this podcast. There we go. Haven't revisited yet. Haven't seen any of the, I guess, now non-canon sequels and the TV show. None of that. Any, none of it at all. Right. And I was really curious how they were going to work Chris McNeil into the new movie because she, it's very much, the Leslie Odom Jr., the Victor character who plays the father of one right. of the girls. And it just, it was really, I liked how they, I liked how they did that and provided that symmetry. I felt like this wasn't as, it felt tonally different than the kind of requel reboot of Halloween. Mm. in in that you have mostly new characters right you're not right. completely revisiting it, we had Lori and Lori being the town boo radley who's waiting prepping for armageddon but right. in this it's just no everyone went on with their lives and you just have the similar circumstance of the exorcism the promise of the premise right the exorcism i enjoyed it I have a feeling that as we talk about it more, it's going to sound like I didn't enjoy it, but I actually really enjoyed it as like a movie, especially like a scary movie where we were like one of six people in the huge theater that they showed it in. It is definitely tonally similar in many ways to the, it it delivers what, uh, the original delivered back then. And I think that if people watch then and watch now, that they will be just as scared and terrified. Okay. That's a hot take. Joe's hot take. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. So for me, this had more, it reminded me of the reboot of uh, the craft legacy in a way. And it also reminded me, especially like Ellen Burstyn's character, like she was as meaningful as, Marilyn Burns character Harding in, in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot that they did on Netflix to some degree. It's like they could have taken that whole story out and this could, it, 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 this, it could have just been a gen general exorcist film or like demon yeah. possession film. 
They could have um, just done it without having we they could have just had those videos that they did where Chris McNeil's being interviewed and they're on YouTube mm-hmm. and that could have just been it. But that's I guess that's what I mean is like at the heart of this is I, I just didn't feel like it needed to be an exorcist film like mm-hmm. within the uh, it just they could have been like a demon possession movie is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't need to have any of that in there. Like we I think you could edit all of that out. Yeah. And just still have a 90 minute film about demon possession. Uh, and it just didn't not in the same because like you bring up the Halloween we're talking about the Halloween reboot. I felt they were pulling a lot of the same beats and a lot of there was something about it that kind of very felt like a mm-hmm. Halloween film in a mm-hmm. way. This definitely had moments. I mean, like the dogs fighting at the beginning reminds me of a sequence in The Exorcist. There were moments where it gets really quiet and then there's a big loud kind of noise. That's kind of part of The Exorcist. There's There was definitely some textures and sounds that sort of reminded me of the original The Exorcist. But I still feel like I just didn't feel... I'm not sure what this movie was trying to say. Like the original Exorcist came out at a, at a time when the seventies, we were in this really interesting upheaval, um, these kind of conversations about world peace and like the anti-war movement, and, like the feminist movement mm-hmm. and the beginning of like, the queer rights movement. And like the world was in this really interesting place of questioning the roles of religion. And I guess to some degree we're in that again, we're having, we always are, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I just feel like the original was trying to say something bigger than, you know, I, I don't know. My expectations for this film were not extremely high. Like I, I, sure. I expected, I didn't expect them to remake the exorcist or to exactly try to copy it beat for beat or anything. Sure. But I don't know. I just, I just, I'm still synthesizing it and I just feel why <laughs> that's the question at the end of the day. I'm just like, why, why did we make this? What is it saying exactly? I, I felt like some of the messaging was a little muddled. It deserved a better script. Cause I think the acting was really good. I think there's some really great performances in this. And I was very happy to see Ellen Burstyn again and be part of the story and to get some of those moments. Sure. But yeah, I'm just not exactly I just think it deserved a tighter script. I don't know. Yeah, the valid, completely valid. And I understand where you're coming from with that, too. I think what saves it for me are the performances. And the interesting thing is that the kind of actors who are in it are by no means. I'm reading some of the bios of the actors like they they all are people who are of really strong faith. Like Leslie Odom Mm -hmm. Jr. is very Christian. Uh, Norbert Leo Butts, who plays Catherine's dad, he grew up very devout Catholic. Yeah, it's just it's really interesting to see the kind of folks who are attracted to a project like this. Aunt Lydia was great as always. <laughs> and out. Uh, if you see and out coming. Gird your loins, call CPS, call <laughs> APS, call everybody. Call the Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> call Gilead. They're like, it's, you could do a really cool, you could do a kind of fucked up double feature with this and Hereditary, where right. Endowed plays the like opposite spectrum neighbors. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. 
Because what, Hereditary, she's the Satanist neighbor, and then the... And both of them are dealing with trying to bring a demon out into the world. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, you could pair these together. That'd be hilarious, actually. I like this idea. (laughs) Maybe that's what I'll do, surprise everybody with a double feature of this at Halloween. (laughs) What I... uh, The moment where the film goes... The moment where the film jumps the shark, which, like... They made, they greenlit a 50 year after sequel (laughs) to The Exorcist. And so that that alone is jumping the shark, right? With the IP. (laughs) The moment where they jumped the shark in the film is when a, like, first of all, they blinded Chris McNeil. So now she's like the sage blind lady. (laughs) She's the blind (laughs) sage there. And she's just like, you know what the commonality is? People. And basically gives like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, like we need to create the Avengers speech. And then you got you got the root work, uh, Yoruba Vudan healer coming in. You got the guy who's the kind of charismatic snake handler preacher whatever kind of episcopal or i want to say lutheran most likely lutheran minister the the i think it was on wikipedia described them as baptist but um, interesting maybe a certain maybe a more kind of episcopal baptist or like a a anglican because they took communion which was interesting yeah um where did i see that i was trying to just confirm i know i just read it somewhere maybe it was in a oh yes his baptist best friend catherine Anyways, but yeah, you're right. There's a lot of different religious and spiritual beliefs intersecting. Yeah. And so then you have them all come there to basically fight the evil spirit, the demon. But it was very the Avengers. Everything short of them, including the montage of each of them gearing up to with their various religious paraphernalia. Yeah, I, it's interesting. So I was reading this, and I've not really vetted this site. So I was just looking for what's being talked about out there uh, in a way of analysis that's not just mm-hmm. reviewing the film. Mm-hmm. So there's religionunplugged.com. And I think this is very interesting because with what you're saying, unlike the original film, which pits modern secular science against the supernatural, this movie features multiple characters with several belief systems and interpretations of what's possessing the young girls who have come together to stop them. And yet they barely develop the beliefs of the characters outside the atheist dad and barely show the different groups in conflict. The conflict of whose interpretation is correct never goes anywhere. And the catharsis of having everyone put aside their differences and come together is non-existent. Which I do believe, which again is why the messaging of the film I think is a little confusing. So, from so I have the just got this yesterday, the yeah. brand new, uh, Fangoria, and there's an interview. So, there's a, a page, a, a story, an excellent day for an exorcism with David Gordon Green talking about it and so one of the quotes from the article is in similar ways to the original film there is the scientific clinical exploration of what's going on and there's got to be an answer we don't have that really vibrant spinal tap sequence but what we do have is some significant medical exams and things that i think really show the invasive lengths that we'll go to try to find an explanation that we can point to then the internal journey of these characters many of these characters is you tell me what works and i'll believe that if i need to say the prayer and then that will work fine 
They're looking for faith in something. And if that's not an institution, where is it out there? Is it in here? I guess that's where the title believer comes from. Is it all a placebo? Is having faith enough of a self-help to get you where your insecurities and anxieties can be overcome because of a belief in something greater than you? If so, that's a great recipe and I'll follow that. But the skepticism, the atheism, the agnostic confusion of all of us when we're faced with things we can't understand that we can't explain is to me the ultimate journey of this movie. Uh, Sure. Um, You know, yeah, but (laughs) you're like, no, duh. (laughs) It's more. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say 1973, right? This is at a time where culturally, the Catholic Church as an institution is starting to see its power wane a little bit, right? We're post-Kennedy, where, you know, civil rights, gay rights, like all of the, the encroaching secularism that is that is being inflicted upon the world. And the Catholic Church is losing it. And it's that representation of there are things beyond our comprehension shows the tension, the push and pull of what the kind of elder ancient powers know uh, to fight the the unexplainable uh, demonic right. forces. Um, this one is just, they did basically that, but just said, you know what? It's not just Christianity. It's all religions. And I will give them this. One of my favorite moments in the film was when everybody's praying. And I had a, also, I had a hard time watching that scene. Like it was the, it was the sequence right before they, Victor goes out and dumps the water in the street. Uh, because I don't know if it was like the vibrations of the soundtrack or whatever, but I was actually starting to feel nauseous. I thought I was going to be sick, but there's that in that scene where everyone's fervently praying and trying to trying to do something, possessed Angela looks over at Victor and says, laughs at him and is like, you don't believe. <laughs> and then just, oh, you're never going to get her back because you have you do not believe in a damn thing that, that is happening. And, and we've already won. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. So kind of to go back to the religion unplugged, um, piece. It also points out that uh, the original Exorcist was part of a larger common theme of some of the most classic blockbusters of the late 1970s and 80s, whether it was Jaws, Star Wars, Halloween, or Die Hard, they bring in. A familiar refrain of these movies was the inability of the modern world to be able to stand up to the evil that exists in the world. Um, In other words, the need for the old-fashioned values and beliefs uh, to combat them. Mm -hmm, And I do think that this film speaks a little bit to that very current, relevant anxiety that we have, as it did back then. Because you're thinking about when this the book was published a few years before the film. I think it was like 1970. That's only 30 years ish from World War II, and even less, like 20 years from. Oh gosh, what's the word? Vietnam. liberation of the camps like oh, at, at in Poland and Germany you oh, know, yeah. it, it, during the Holocaust. 
and th- that was like a time where for the first time we were having like global news, like television being like a thing as well. So people got, got really confronted with real horrors in the world mm-hmm. to the extent like not for the first time, obviously we're aware like of horror, but I, I just mean that the real depths of depravity of humanity becomes something that you can watch on television <laughs> at, at night as that kind of grew. And so you have these, like a film like The Exorcist come out at a time where, and again, like you just mentioned, Vietnam, horrors, real horror nightly on the news about, and it just makes people think, what can we do to stand up against this? And you do have that tension of modern secular science trying to provide answers that it, it cannot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so The Exorcist, I think, does a good job of reflecting that. And again, what you're talking about with the changing power dynamic of religion in some ways, uh, specifically the, the Roman Catholic Church. So now, a days, obviously, we are super plugged in to the world um, in a way that we've never been before, just with social media and like all of this modern technology is really um, allowing for more and more information to be spread and more and more things to like fester in our culture in, in, in some ways. And it is again, like what, how do we stop this kind of suffering? How do we, what's the answer to this kind of like pain and um, you know, just, depravity that we're exposed to. And one of those answers, and which I do, I, I think that this film, because taking the original exorcist, it's like, you get Father Marin, you get Father Karras, they're representing these different points of time for the Catholic Church mm-hmm. to come and perform this exorcism. And sure. it is in a way bringing the old ways back to, to solve this problem, because it can't be solved by the doctors. And then this, and which I do think I'm, not religious myself, but I think this kind of is true. A lot of churches are moving towards ideas of community and trying to bring people together, not just with the threat of damnation and hellfire, but the community that the church offers. Mm -hmm. I think this is something that we may have discussed way back on our 28 Days Later when we had Laura on, where we talked about how the church provided a lot of like support for Mm -hmm. people and for families and things like that. And so it's it's reminding us that we need community as well. And this film, I think, is trying to do that. It's We all need to come together to fight the darkness in the world and put aside some of these more artificial differences to believe in God and the power of good and the power of love and these sorts of things. I I feel like it's trying to get at that message um, in a way. Again, it might have to see it again, and we'll see where we're at in a year from now with analysis around this film. But I just think that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's what it's this approach. We need each sure. other more than we need these gods and institutions and things that divide us. But I just don't think it really fully comes together. And especially at the end where you have the father of Catherine decide to choose his daughter, because... Dear listener, obviously lots of spoilers, but the thing in this film is the original. It was Harris asked the demon to come into him 
and leave Reagan. And then he throws himself out the window. It's like that choice of take me instead of the little girl. So in this version, the demon that is or demons that are possessing these two girls says that the family has to choose one of them. One of the girls is going to die and one gets to live. And some of them really want to some of the people in the room are like, don't listen to that. We can keep fighting. Stay strong. And the father's obviously representing either some kind of weakness or not trusting in the overall process of everybody in the room. So he does mm-hmm. try to choose his daughter. But uh, again, the the devil is a trickster. <laughs> Much like God is. God God works in mysterious ways, apparently. So does uh, little, little Satan. Uh, so that daughter is instead dies. And the other girl lives. And so it's what is... <laughs> What's trying to be said there? <laughs> like, what yeah. is the comment? Especially because, you well, know, is it, it, it ends on such like a weird note because it's one of the innocent girls dies and is dragged down to hell and the other one gets to live. Yeah, like literally dragged to hell too. Like yeah. they didn't need to show that. Like they really didn't need to show this little girl like getting drowned by whatever demon this is. Yeah. But where, so I think Joshua with what you said about like the healing balm is community, right? The healing Mm -hmm. balm is coming together in community. I think that the Tony who's Catherine's father, he represents that selfishness because like Miranda, who is the Jennifer Nettles, Catherine's mother looks at Victor, Leslie Odom Jr. And as they look at each other and they're like, when faced with the choice, they just look at each other and they're like, we can't choose because they know what it means for the other. If they choose, if they choose selfishly, which is a good callback because the efforts to find the missing girls in the beginning is very separated. They Angela's on her own pictures. Catherine's on her own pictures. They're not, thinking about like when they call each other when they call the daughters in the wilderness they're calling their own they're not calling for both of them and so in that moment they unite together to make to try to make it so that way everyone gets to walk away from it but tony chooses selfishness out of fear again it's out of fear it's out of it was just it was a lot and he just wanted it to be over and like the devil's a trickster But it's also interesting, too, because, like, it ends up happening again where, like, Angela is saved even though she was, like, not the one who was chosen, right? And there's a really, there's there's actually a pretty decent establishing narrative of, Angela is is in is in the womb with her mother in Haiti. There's the earthquake. Victor has to choose between the baby or the mother. You find out during the exorcism that he chooses the he chooses the mother, but it's the right. baby that survives. And that symmetry of she's also again not meant to live, not to be chosen, and still is protected. Which honestly, if, if you really want to, if we really want to go down deep into it, that could be like further, further evidence of the potency of the ritual that the mother received. Yeah, the Haitian, the yeah. Haitian. She received a very beautiful protection ritual where, even though she's being protected, even though she wasn't chosen these two times, she's still being protected. 
Which is interesting because yeah. it does then privilege that faith and that spirituality over Roman Catholicism, which, yeah. you know, and other forms of Christianity, which have conquered and, um, you know, colonized yeah. places all over. So it is interesting if we talk about, again, the natural world and like science and the things that they try first, you know, a natural root work <laughs> sure. where the real like healing is and where the real protection comes from, a trust in this, that process. Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. That's yeah. actually a very good point. And I was also thinking a little bit about just the conversation that we have about murdered or missing indigenous women and mm -hmm. like the conversation about whose whose daughters matter. So I think there's maybe some hints at, at, at a conversation in that upon another watch and to actually consider that like that separation in the beginning when at the end of the day, it's like both their daughters are in the same perilous situation. Mm hmm. But yeah, it just, yeah, it just ends on a, it's just such a weird kind of note, which I've read other interviews and stuff with David, where he was just saying that he wanted it to be that way. He wants good to win, but the bad side should also get a few marks because that's like how the world is. Mm -hmm. That's how and, the original and, was too. Yeah. And it echoes other exorcism tales, like the exorcist of Emily Rose, which is based on like the Annalise Michelle, where she died during the exorcism. And um, so it touches on some of that real world stuff. That's actually what I said to Jeffrey at the end when like they're when it's over and like the cops and like paramedic stuff come here. Is, Can we get CPS on the property? If that was me, I don't know what, you know, because if you just come yeah. into the scene, you have no idea what's going on. They got these girls chained up to a chair, bleeding everywhere and all horrible stuff happening. Like, There's a need, priest whose head right. is facing his Twisted back around. Yeah, yeah, we need to. Yeah, we need some. There's paperwork that needs to be filled out within 36 hours. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I will say, so obviously the big, huge moment in the film, really, which at the end of the day, maybe is the reason to really watch it, because it was very nice. And by the time this comes out, it will be everywhere. So it won't be a surprise. Um, and it, it wasn't totally a surprise because we knew Linda Blair was on the set. She had mm -hmm. been photographed and seen there. Um, but everybody said, oh, no, I'm not in it. I'm just I was just there as a technical advisor, or I assume she was there to sign away or maybe mm -hmm. sign something for the likeness because they do use photos of her. Maybe she sure. was providing some pictures and things of herself, but she does show up in the end. So in the, in this story, Chris McNeil has published a book 10 years ish after the original events of the film. So sometime in the eighties, she publishes this book about her experience with Reagan. Reagan gets upset with her and doesn't talk to her for some, whatever it is, 40 years. And there's like, you know, they've just been split apart. And in the end, we do get a moment where Linda Blair's character, Reagan, does return and visits her mother in the hospital. And what I read was that they didn't tell a lot of people that was going to happen. Mm. And they had blindfolded, or Ellen Burstyn's character is blind at this point. And so she's got this stuff on her face. And she and Linda hadn't seen each other in a long time. So that... What we saw on the during the film was their that them coming together for the first time. They filmed it twice, and what they put in the film was the first. So that was they kept them apart until that moment, so they could film an actual the real coming together, which I think is sweet. And it was a moment. It did give me goosebumps as small as that kind of moment was. And as much as I was sitting there thinking about why are any of these people, you know, what we didn't, it, it didn't feel. 
truly like this exorcist film mm-hmm. or that Chris McNeil was like so integral to the plot. Cause you're right. They could have just sure. had a book her book or whatever, or anybody yeah. could have been another character, some other person. It didn't have yeah. to be. She could have been on a it, zoom call. <laughs> right. It, it could have been anybody else. It didn't have to be Chris McNeil and yeah. Reagan. It could have um, been because, that little, that babysitter. Yeah, because the movie's like generic. No, I'm just saying it didn't have to be in the world at all. It could have oh, just been I a generic exorcism, exorcism possession movie. As far as I feel, they didn't. It just at times it just felt a little shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. But for that moment to happen, that was very cool, and it it did give me goosebumps. And as a longtime horror fan and a lover of The Exorcist, just seeing. Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair together on screen as these characters again was very cool, even though it's a second that kind of made it worth it in that way. (laughs) I will say my cold dead heart was warmed. (laughs) So what you're saying is that once again, they made an exorcist movie where they lied to Ellen Burstyn about something that was happening. This time she didn't injure herself. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think she knew that she was going to be there, but they just didn't. They just didn't tell her when. They didn't have them meet before. They sure, wanted sure, to sure. capture like the energy of that moment. And then he said that they did film a second version of it. But that, but what we saw, what we see in the film is their actual reunion, which is, again, super cute, super fun. So, yeah, I don't know how. I, we just watched it. So I'm st- like I said earlier, I'm still processing my feelings around it. There were some cool moments. There was some cool imagery. There was hints at just that aesthetic of The mm-hmm. Exorcist in some ways. Sure. But again, and I was not, I did not have high hopes. I figured it would not be as, it wouldn't leave me feeling like as great as The Exorcist. For one, it's mm-hmm. not really exactly the fault of the film. As proof of you, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. modern audiences, yeah, I think struggle sometimes with slower, meditative kind of things. Sure. If the story's not like super tight, because obviously people like Hereditary and they like Midsommar and the A twenty four, like those movies are do have done well. But I wish they would have applied that sort of to this, just to make it a little bit more. It didn't need to be so like flashy or something. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Again, like I said, I'm still formulating a real opinion of it. I just don't. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) What am I trying to say? I have no idea. You're trying to be very diplomatic, Evan. We don't have to form any. It's it's first reactions, right? Like this is true. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to form any like definitive opinions about it. We just saw it. And again, for just seeing it again, I don't know if I'd watch this again. Yeah. In the same way, I don't think I'm I'm like, I'm not going to watch like the craft legacy again. Yeah. But apparently this is supposed to be the first of a trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we'll see Linda Blair. Yeah, but the other one's already scheduled for April of 2025. It's called Deceiver. Deceiver. Yeah, we'll see what they do as it continues on. But again, I'm just not sure any of this is necessary. But if it brings people to the original Exorcist, great. I think I would watch this again. Uh, One, just because I would like to... I want some time to think about it and then come back to it and look at it again and think about Mm -hmm. what it's trying to say. I just wish it was a little tighter story-wise, a little bit more clear. I wish it just had a clearer vision. It doesn't feel... um, 
it's just very chaotic because the original story kind of focuses on one small world, but you've got Chris and Reagan and these two priests. It's a, there are other characters, but it's not, this is just a little convoluted at times, which is maybe that's because I, maybe I'm not sophisticated enough in film critique in that way to understand why all these reviewers think it's so bad. Cause like I said, if you take out the exorcist part of it, it's just, it's a pretty serviceable demon possession movie what you'd want in a demon possession movie i I think so yeah i don't like everybody who's saying it's like the worst thing to ever happen to like the world and it's okay calm down um no i I don't think that's right i feel that way about a lot of modern review stuff because it's just it's easier to get clicks if you hate on everything and people will fight in your comment section about it. So that's, which is good content. But yeah, so whatever. There we go. The Exorcist. Believer. Believer. Deceiver. What's the next one? Retriever. <laughs> oh my Shout God. If it is Redeemer. I wonder if they've actually answered what that's called. Because I, I did hear Deceiver, but I've not heard untitled the exorcist film currently it's gonna be redeemer the exorcist yeah believer deceiver redeemer would probably be good receiver yes (laughs) reliever reliever pazuzu (laughs) bottoms and receiver there we go yes i like that pazuzu Uh, bottoms for it'll be lil nas x on on a (laughs) tour with pazuzu spreading his you know what we uh, need to we need to do like messaging <laughs> the internet needs to create a a like montage of all of the scenes of the actual exorcism but to montero call me by your name yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you imagine like when the the like the vapors coming out of the girls that is like call me when you want call me when you need call me in the morning i on the way i like it <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that sounds super uh, hot. <laughs> All right, I I don't know. Go watch it for yourselves, y'all. Let us yes. know what you think of the Exorcist Believer. And until next time, good night. Good night. All right, and I. Re- Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davey Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.